0: Once you are self-aware, you must make a change. Welcome to The Millionaire Woman Show, where we'll be discussing leadership, business, human potential, inspiring you to live rich from the inside out. Unlock your creativity, stretch out of your comfort zone, break through your barriers, take inspired action, and achieve epic results. Now here's your host, three-time best-selling author, speaker, and certified executive coach, Debra Kozowski. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another Millionaire Woman Show. And if it's your first time here, welcome. You're in for a treat. We bring you guests from around the world who will motivate you in life, business, and leadership. And today, I have a special guest. It's kind of like turning the tables. I have the wife of the Iron Cowboy, and uh, James Lawrence who did the 50-50-50, so 50 triathlons, 50 states. Um, It's 50 Ironmans, make sure I qualify this because that is uh, definitely uh, a strong feat in itself. And 50 days, 50 states. And I am so excited to have Sunny Jo here. Um, She's a Utah native college graduate from Utah Valley University in the field of psychology. She married James in December, 2000. So we're coming up to a 20 year anniversary and they're loving life together. They have five kids, four daughters with a son on the end. And she's always loved being a mom as well as James number one supporter through all of his accomplishments. They balance each other out and they make a great team. So I'm excited to have this conversation with her because now it's an exciting time for her to start her own career Heading into the second half of her life and she's passionate about people, loving to get to know anyone that they come and cross, she comes and cross with and crossing paths and she's regularly told that she's a ray of sunshine that matches personality with her beautiful name Sunny Joe. and she's been an athlete for most of the years of her life and have enjoyed calm down version now that she's entering this new chapter. Golf has waited for many years so now it's something she loves to do and she's got some hot golf shoes please welcome (laughs) sunny joe to the show thank you thanks so much for joining me you know um i had heard of james from a couple of friends when i had been starting some triathlons and i had won tickets actually um, to an event that he was speaking at here in edmonton alberta Ah. and i was sitting in the audience because my one of the things i've done triathlon Um, have not entertained up to an Ironman or even a half Ironman because of the open water swimming. And one of the questions I had asked him when we had the Q&A portion was how do you get over thinking that there's something underneath you (laughs) or that it goes dark and then you don't have that visual. And, you know, and through reading the book and some of the other challenges that I've gone through, I'm, I'm ready to make an attempt to just, do an open water swim just for myself to know that i can do that part so it's been on my list of things to conquer and um but today i want to just focus there's so much i have had going through my head of wanting to ask you um first of all when he comes and tells you that he's going to do this 50 iron man 50 days 50 states what was your first reaction
1: well, the interesting thing is, is when I married James, I knew he was a dreamer. And so I have to be honest when I say that all of his ideas never come as a surprise to me. So even when they're extreme, I I just expect them. So for this one, it was a unique circumstance because he had not quite finished his 2012 world records yet. And he was doing 30 full Ironman triathlons through 11 countries in that calendar year. So he had two races left to finish off that world record. And he said to me, I have an idea. And I was like, oh no, (laughs) because it had been a very hard year for our family. And um, my kids were still really little and I mean, a very hard year. And I couldn't believe that he was already moving on when I was still trying to make it through, you know, the last few races of that year. And so I told them, I told him it was about the middle of November. And I told him that he had to wait till February. I said, we got to finish this world record. We've got to get through the holidays. You can't talk to me till February. So he tried a couple of times and then finally he popped in on February 1st and said, it's February. We have to talk about it. <laughs> so he'd originally wanted to do it in 2014, but we were already into February of 2013 And I thought there was no way we could be prepared in one year, less than a year to start that. So I begged him and gave my well wishes if it was 2015 and he complied. And that gave us time to get the complexity of that pulled together a little more easily. I mean, there's no way we could have done it in 10 months. We barely pulled it off in Two years, right? Two and a half. I mean, we didn't start till June, so it was almost two and a half years by the time that we actually executed it. So, I uh, that one caught me off guard a little bit, but for the most part, he's got all sorts of ideas going through his head, so nothing really surprises me.
0: So you're you're kind of the steady to his popcorn ideas that come up.
1: I say that he's got a handful of helium balloons, and I'm holding on to his feet and saying, okay. You can go up, but you got to stay down also. So that's how I describe our relationship. James is floating up with these helium balloons and I'm like, okay, think about the logical things in life. So we do, we make a really great team.
0: Yeah. Very nice balance there. You know, how does it make you feel? Cause I know I'm just going to show everybody the cover the iron cowboy re- redefine impossible. Oh, wait, let me hold it this way. There we go. And one of the things that really intrigues me is you're really the one who instigated this whole thing. (laughs) Because he never ran before until you got him running. And then it took off from there from the next challenge to the next challenge. And when you think about it, that it just took one thing to trigger that.
1: Yeah, one really simple thing too. It's funny because I've always been extremely athletic and my friends, even from childhood, always tease me that I had all this talent, but I didn't have a single ounce of competition in my body. And so you know, they would joke that my athletic um, abilities went to waste because I didn't care to use them other than to goof off and have fun. So I I started getting fat as a freshman in high school and was like, holy cow, well, I don't know what else to do but start running. Cause I'd been a gymnast for year and years and, you know, I'd always been super active. And then all of a sudden I'm going through puberty and my body's changing and I'm getting weight. And I'm like, whoa, what's happening to this, you know, athletic body of mine that's transforming into this woman. So I started running. And I just ran for fitness and I'd always been into um, weights and all sorts of stuff. You know, I I lied for my first gym pass. I was 15 and said I was 16 so that I could get it because it was a few months before my birthday. But I would always loved fitness. So James and I were married and he was a guy who would go hit the weights at the gym. And I'd say, yeah, weights are important, but you also got to be doing something for your lungs and your heart. And he's like, ah, that's sissy stuff. Who needs that? So I said to him, "Okay, great. Well, every year I run this race on Thanksgiving morning. And I felt like it was a kind of a fun way to launch off the holiday and it's just at the you know, the local fitness center. And it's just a 4-mile run. And so I did it every single year and I said to him, "Why don't you come this year?" And we could push the kids in a stroller or, you know, we could figure out how to make it work. And he's like, oh, yeah, no problem. Well, he and his buddy Mike show up and nearly die at this four miles. So the finish line, I was like, you guys are pathetic. I'm like, you're 28 years old and you think you're these athletic specimens and you nearly died. I joke, you know, we all joke that James had women passing him with babies and strollers Because, I mean, Mike ended up walking like half of it, I think. So at that point, I said, you know, this guy needs a kick in the pants. And so I said, hey, I signed us up for the Salt Lake City Marathon. And that was in April of 2015. So this is just the holidays before I said, I signed us up. So figure it out. Because I knew he would do his thing and I would do mine. And so he and Mike got this great training plan. And I remember one day they came in and they said, oh, we did this long run. We ran six miles today. And I was like, six miles? That's like less than an hour. And I didn't have a running background. I'd always just run for fitness, but I knew six miles wasn't very long. So it was fun to watch them into this journey of mileage, so to speak, where you know they kind of conquered some of these longer distances. And then the day of the race, everybody did their own thing, you know, and it was our first marathon. So we all fell apart and made stupid decisions throughout the whole race. And James crossed that finish line. And I remember we went to Cracker Barrel on the way home and we were all sitting there like, we are never doing that again. It was the most miserable thing ever. And the next morning I went to church, James couldn't get out of bed you know, the night before he'd gone to these fights with a friend and he, his legs had locked up in the bent knee position and he had to be wheelchaired out. And so at church, they said, does anybody have any good news? And I said, yeah, I ran a marathon yesterday, me and James. And I said, he beat me, but I can walk today and he can't. So that's always kind of like one of the funny things that, you know, he may have finished it. 20 minutes faster, but he was laid up for like a solid month. And I just couldn't believe it. I was like, you guys are a disaster. So from then, he kind of caught the bug. He had a friend that made a challenge with triathlon. And he said, now swimming and biking, that sounds a lot more fun than just running. And so that same summer, he started off and did really well in some local races. And then it took off from there.
0: That's amazing. That's amazing. I, I can appreciate the marathon. I just finished my first one ever in 2019.
1: Don't they hurt so bad?
0: <laughs> I, I was not prepared to know anything about it. People were standing with road signs that said, you know, signs on a, you know, praying for your toenails. And I'm like,
1: <laughs> what does that even mean? Toenails.
0: And I'm like, what are they talking about? I'm telling my girlfriend, I said, what are they talking about? She goes, don't worry about it. You, you, you just keep running. Keep running. And that evening, I had come home and my son was like grinning like a Cheshire cat. He's like, hey, mom you know, you need to have 20 minutes ice, 20 minutes hot tub, you know, stay in your marathon clothes and hop in the tub. So he cranks the water cold, 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 and he comes with this big bowl of ice. And he's looking at me with this big grin. He's like, okay, mom, ready, ready. And he's uh, 15. And he's like, he throws it in. I'm like, "Ooh!" and he's just tackling laughing. And then he said, Okay, I'll be back in 20 minutes. I'm going to go get your Tim's um, tea and your sprinkle donut that you wanted because you finished and uh, I it would took <laughs> all of me to stay in that tub but that evening when I crawled into bed I, I was like why do my toenails hurt on the top of the sheets that are
1: covered? <laughs> the sheet rubs them right yes. yeah
0: We thought okay I'm just gonna take a nail file and just poke like maybe there's something there and all of a sudden fluid came out and I was like Oh, and the file went right down
1: to the bed. And I'm like, oh,
0: this this is what they were talking about. This is
1: what that woman's praying for, these toenails.
0: This is what that sign was. I am listening.
1: Yes. And yeah, it took, I think, nine months. A year yeah, because they, they fall off and then they got to get better and then they got to grow back. And James, he has a hammer toe that he always has problems with. So he loves it when it falls off at the beginning of the season because then it takes nine months to get back. And so he doesn't, it doesn't bother him the rest of the race season, right? So oh, he likes it when it falls getting. off.
0: Because <laughs> I was looking in the book and, it, you know, the butterfly notes about having, uh, I love the toenails that the kids used to think the toenails were the coolest thing ever. Yeah.
1: Yep. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. The happy father's day. We love your gross mangy hammer toe toenails. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's, really, it's, it's like a science experiment, right?
1: That's a fact. That's a fact. Yeah.
0: So I'm curious, like, you know, while he was training, while he was in the midst of the Iron Ironman um, there's many times, like you were really a force in getting him up um, exhausted. Right. Um not feeling like he could even put clothes on and, you know, change for the next part. And so when you saw him in that state, what did you tell yourself about, you know, being the supporter, but also knowing what his vision was for himself?
1: Well, you know, we're surrounded by a lot of people, and a lot of strangers, and everybody there had sympathy and compassion for him because they just could see in his face that no one's home right? I mean, you are literally looking through this body into the black hole. Mm -hmm. But for me, I knew what it had taken for us to get there. And I knew James would regret it for the rest of his life if it wasn't accomplished. And so I felt zero compassion. (laughs) I mean, like, I, I just didn't, I didn't, uh, coddle him. I just couldn't. So we would go in one day and everybody'd be like, oh, he's too tired to get up. And I was like, he is getting up and he's getting up right now. Right? It's like I had to be the one person that was constant, that I wasn't um, emotionally swayed side to side. It was like, this was the goal. This is what had to happen. And I knew James would regret it for the rest of his life if I didn't play some sense of heartball. And so, um, as much as I knew, he was struggling. I knew it was self-inflicted. He had chosen this and this was his goal. And also I knew it was temporary. So every day it went through my mind, if he doesn't accomplish this, I have some accountability in it because I was the person that had to be the drill sergeant to make it happen. And, you know, at the time, Sometimes I felt bad that I had to be the horse driver, that I had to be, you know, kind of getting in there and making stuff happen. But looking back, one, that's kind of my personality. I don't, I'm not like a, I mean, like I, I'm really, I'm tender hearted and I'm kind and I'm patient, but I just, I don't, I'm not very good at like coddling a person who victimizes themselves. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really good at executing a task and making stuff happen. He's straightforward. And, and James and I had been married for 15 years at that point. That's what he would have expected from me. So if I had been, oh, you better sleep another hour, or he would have been like, are you sick? Who are you, woman? But I just, I knew he would regret it if it didn't happen. And if it didn't happen in some form of the way that he wanted it to happen. And so I felt very strongly that it was my job to keep him on task and keep him on the path, even though that was virtually impossible. (laughs) I mean, I was like pulling him from left to right. I never got him to go straight. But ultimately, I kept him on that path, at least with half a toe, if that's all it was. So.
0: And would you say for the most part? The
1: The hard part, though, is I couldn't be like his wife during that time. You know, like I couldn't be with him and I couldn't comfort him and I couldn't because we had, we were never together. You know, he was out for the day and I was trying to get everything together. I mean, it was utter chaos. So I, that's part that I did miss is I felt like we weren't married and the other people were able to nurture him in that way. Mm-hmm. when I couldn't and that was really hard for me because I was like well how come I can't be nice and love him and snuggle him and yeah. take care of him how come everybody else is taking care of him when I've been taking care of him for 15 years so it was kind of like a conundrum between those two forces yeah
0: and do you find with you know the amount of training i know people say you know training for an ironman is just like you know a full time job and many people who do participate have full time jobs but you have five kids you are starting on your own career and knowing James, just like before we were talking, he was already, I could, you know, hearing the biking shoes, he's, he's training. Yeah. How, how do you deal with um, like you said, you know, there's times I could be the wife and there's times I have to be part of that drill sergeant piece To So it doesn't impact your relationship with all that training time. Cause I know some people listening, they might have people, you know, dreaming about, doing an Ironman and they're, they're contemplating or they're holding back on that dream because they think their partner won't be understanding. How, how do you
1: approach this? That's an, that's an excellent question. And actually it's a quite fair question because it is a very demanding sport. I mean, any endurance event is one of his wingmen, Casey, he's a teacher and he has a lot of young kids and He does endurance sports as well. And his wife and I are great friends. And it is quite a balance for them, for him to be able to do what he wants to do and work as a teacher and be a father and a husband and, you know, to volunteer in his church and his neighborhood and all these things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think the best answer for that is that there's a time and a season. And I can't tell you how many times I was at home. I used to say to James and he hated it. It hurt his feelings, but it's kind of how I felt. I said, somebody has to be the grown up, you know? Like I have to be the grown up. So he's like, hey, let's go to all these really fun things together. And I'm like, Jay, somebody has to be the grown up. Like if you're out doing these things, I have to be home helping take care of these kids and homework and all these things on top of, you know? And so the answer, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I'm in the living room and they're off going to do these fun things and I'm sitting there going, I'm doing homework so I can graduate from college with five little kids in time to head off for the 50 and they're all out riding bikes, you know, or like a Saturday morning, they're like, let's go do this really fun, long four hour trail run. And I'm like, well, I can only go for two because I have a family. But the thing is, is there's a time and a season for everything. Mm -hmm. And I chose to be a mother and I chose to have five kids and I had them in less than seven years. They were, they're apart. All five of them. I chose that. I wanted that. I wanted to be done having kids before I was 30. I had my fifth child at 28 because I knew I would be young and have the energy and to give them my life. And then they would grow up and I would still be young. So a lot of people, you know, they wait to have kids till they're 40. Well, then they get to enjoy their 20s and 30s. Well, I did it reverse because I'm like, well, you're 20, you don't have any money anyway. And, you know, I'd rather do my life later when I have money and I have a a husband to do it with versus college student funds, you know, at 20 years old. So I waited and I waited my turn for a lot of things and I made tremendous sacrifices to make my own thing happen. But the second you start feeling sorry for yourself and you say, oh, they always get to do this or, oh, they're always doing that. You know, that's when you get yourself in trouble as the partner, as the supporter. Now, as far as James goes, he doesn't plan anything without talking to me first because he has to, just like our friend Ryan, Casey's wife, you know, Casey's like, Ran, are you willing to make the sacrifices for me to achieve these goals as well? You know, James is like, Sonny, is, you know, can I do these things? And sometimes I say, no. Sometimes I'm like, no. Or I'm like, you can do it, but I don't want you to. So you can make your own choice, but. I'm saying it's too much for me to stretch. Mm -hmm. So the time in the season, if you're going to choose to do an Ironman, your partner has to know that it's going to be a pretty intense commitment and you got to be in it together. Now, I have to say, I've seen a lot of marriages and families destroyed by these people who become career Ironman athletes because they put the sport first and they walk away from their families and their lives explode. And you know, that's the truth with anything. It's the truth with work or if you're a golfer or if you're obsessed with going to CrossFit or, I mean, that's lacking balance in any any field or hobby or interest. So, you know, you really have to decide together if it's the right time and the right season. Is this something we're willing to commit to? Is it something we need to wait Or is now a great time, you know? And I mean, pick one, do one, and then you know what it entails. And then if you decide you want to do another one, now you know what it really entails, right? Right. So it's a a tight squeeze with a schedule, that's for sure. And you
0: talk about the power of um, being in the passenger seat, but I'm also curious as to how James supports you for your dreams as well.
1: That's a really great question. People say all the time, like, oh, especially when, when we were younger, you know, we was doing those first world records and stuff. People were like, oh, you're holding down the fort and James is off gallivanting. You know, he's playing and you're working hard. And it was like people tried to talk me into being mad at him. Mm. But what they didn't realize is that I am constantly working on my own dreams and aspirations, but because they're not as big as his, people don't know about them. And so they don't realize that he's supporting me through all of those things I do too. Mm -hmm. So he's saying things like, Hey, did you do that thing that you were supposed to do today? Or, Hey, did you decide you want to take piano lessons again? Did you talk to the person? Did you get it arranged? You know, so he always is supporting me. I went back to school with five little kids caring for a woman with Alzheimer's. And like my son was like four, I had to take him to class with me sometimes. And James literally hold his load. He would help drive kids. He would take kids and he's getting ready for the 50. At the same time, he's doing what he can to simplify my life in going back to college at the most random time. I I graduated 10 days before we left for the 50. And He could have easily said, it's not the right time. What are you thinking, lady? Instead, he's like, are you seriously going to dive into this right now? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, okay, then giddy up. So he's really good about supporting me. The stuff I want to do, I just am not as adventurous, and so I think his support isn't demonstrated as well as mine is.
0: I, I think going back to school is very adventurous at any age.
1: <laughs> it's um, conventional, though. Yeah, you know, no, I conventional. The thing,
0: and, and what I also hear is a real ebb and flow of communication. Yeah, but also saying, okay, that's what you're choosing. Let's let's find a way to make it work. There isn't that. Oh, are you sure you want to do this? Never. You know, maybe it's not the right time for you or, you know, kind of sab- like he doesn't come from a place of sabotage and neither you for him. It's like, let's figure out how.
1: Well, I did a video um, on my Instagram on Monday about hijacking. And it's like, I think about it a lot because people tend to hijack somebody else's moment. So, for instance, when you talk about sabotaging each other, it, you know, a partner or a friend or a sibling or a parent might say, well, I don't want you to do this great thing because then it makes me feel bad about myself. So I'm going to hijack your moment and I'm going to make it about me and about how you, it's the wrong time for you because it makes me feel inadequate. Yeah, You know, and it's like hij- hijacking is so common in society that everybody thinks that somebody else's success takes away from them. And so, you know, it's sometimes in a partnership or in a friendship, any type of relationship that is impacted. And the term I've chosen to use for that is hijacking, like don't let other people hijack your moment or your dreams because they're yours, right?
0: Yeah, I think that's so important. That's why, you know, I really admire the work because marriage is work. I really admire the work that you have um, worked together in ensuring that, you know, if that's your dream, I want to support you 100% in any way that I can. And um, how you said you don't have to be the driver. You know, you can have power in the passenger seat, especially if someone's secure with who they are. And, and what, and that's really what it comes down to not letting the ego take over. Totally.
1: Well, and I like to say, you know, in the passenger seat, I get to take a nap when I want and I get to control the radio and I can read a book or I could anything I want where the driver, they've got to be like on all the time. And for some reason, people think, well, I want to be the driver. I don't want to be the passenger. I'm like, who wants to be the driver? Are you kidding me? That's so restrictive. (laughs) I get to be the passenger and I get to enjoy all these adventures with James and I don't have to do any of them. Are you kidding me? Like, so people think, oh, but that takes, you know, back to the ego, that takes away from me. I'm like, James's success has nothing to do with my self-worth or my value. It's my responsibility to decide what I want to do with my life and who I want to be and to execute that. And even if I don't have his support, you know... Sometimes you're in a relationship. I mean, James didn't have support when he first started doing this. Everybody was against him. And sometimes when you know it's the right thing to do, you don't have the support you, you need and you want. So it's, I mean, it's tricky, but you have to remember too, that along with supporting James, I am the first person to say no, or that's a bad idea. Or yeah, you say you're going to do that, but are you actually going to do it? And if you are, you're committing to me right here and I'm holding you to it. So it's both sides, right? It's not just like, yay, you're so awesome. But it's also like, no, you are not doing what you said you were going to do. And I'm holding you to it. You know, so it's like, again, just like the 50, right? I had to be the drill sergeant, but then I also got to be the person who loves him the most out of everybody there. So that's, that's our marriage for sure. That's our marriage for sure.
0: And Joe, I think what I really hear from you is that you were calling out any excuses. It doesn't sound like he comes up with a lot, but when they do, you know, you're able to hold him accountable and he's like, oh, she's
1: calling me on it kind of thing. It's not like. And he knows yeah, I will.
0: Yeah. And he's not. You even like-
1: attempt it. You know, Has I'm coming. He- Has he yeah. ever
0: gotten defensive to
1: say. "Oh, no"? Always. <laughs> he always does. Always. Are you kidding me? I have to say to myself, okay, this is what I want to say but how do I actually need to say it? Right? So something else I like to say is people are always offering explanations, but really explanations are just excuses. An explanation is, you know, I left the iron on this shirt and the shirt lit on fire. The explanation is I left the iron on, but that's not how we use explanations today. Everybody's always offering excuses, right? So whenever my kids try to explain something, I would say, is this an explanation or is this an excuse? And I don't, I don't get a lot of excuses in this house. So yeah.
0: And, and I love it because I remember the part where um, Lucy was asking him to, what was it was a cartwheel across the finish line. And, uh-huh. I was, and he was like, okay, I got to find a way to have enough energy to do this, right? To call call each other on excuses and being. Yeah, she
1: was not giving him an out. No, right? No, no out. He
0: must have learned that from you. <laughs>
1: Maybe you know her personality is a lot like mine. She's funny because she was just working a job, and she is like they're disorganized and they're this and that, and so frustrated. And she's just like right up in there, you know, saying, "Hey, this and this and this." And That's I was like, awesome. I'm, I "Good it. for you for speaking your mind," but just remember, sometimes you have to stop and say, "This is how I want to say it. How should I actually say it?" Yeah. <laughs> so she is. She definitely has a bold personality.
0: The other thing, part I want to touch on is, you know, you said when there's, we have all these naysayers and the people who may come across as, you know, the hijackers, um, but also internally, like we have our own doubts of our own, right? Regardless, we don't, you know, if we take on other people's doubt in us or the naysaying, it just makes that weight extra heavy. How have you helped um, James, but also yourself, to push through
1: when times felt the toughest? Well, I'm a very spiritual and religious person. So um, I rely a lot on God and faith, you know, through these journeys, I knew through my own prayer and revelation that this is what we're supposed to be doing. So when things got hard, I knew God was standing by us or he would have never told me to do it. right? But the other part is that when I was younger... um, it was like when I was when I was really young I was really rough and I was really crazy I was seven of eight kids, and I think I just really had to fight for my place to be heard and seen, and it was really wild. Um, And then as I got older into teenage age, I kind of went the opposite direction where I, the pendulum swung way too far, and it was all about pleasing others and being kind and getting walked on. And, you know, that's when I learned a lot about life is through my 20s and 30s, not not even like, I mean, I'm only 39, but like my early 30s, before the fifty. I used to just always want everybody to be happy and get along and just be best friends. Like I couldn't understand why you would ever try to sabotage or hijack somebody else's journey. I couldn't understand why people wouldn't be friends with that weird person just because they're weird. So what if they're weird? Like be friends with them anyway. You don't have to like hang out with them every day, but why can't you just be friends with them, you know? And as I've gotten older... And through the 50 for sure, I've come to realize that, you know, you can't please everyone. So you got to please yourself. Like you literally will never convince people about certain things. I mean, whether it's who should be the president of the United States or how they can improve their relationships. If people aren't ready to hear you, you are wasting your energy. And so when, when I reflect back on the people who are naysayers through our journey, now that it's been so many years and I see how their outcome of life has turned out, it doesn't surprise me based on the people they were five years ago and 10 years ago. Right. You're like, Oh, cause you know, when you're 20, everybody smokes and drinks and stays up all night and everybody's the same. But then when you're 40, You know who smoked and drank and stayed up all night in their 20s and who didn't, right? Mm -hmm. So now that we're heading into later into life, you're realizing whose choices have taken them to what place. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Through that time, when I had all those people that were haters, I just couldn't digest how they could be so cruel. But I just constantly dealt with my emotions and I constantly focused on what I knew we were supposed to be doing. And James and I really had to lean on each other because there were many, many years when we had no one else. And it was a beautiful thing for our relationship to really bring us together. But at the same time, we lost a lot of friends. Because people just are grumpy, so it was dealing with that, those emotions at the time and saying, you know, this isn't about me. These are hijackers. They're trying to steal the moment from us. And you know, I say that more casually than it really was. There were some relationships that, like, even dealing with my emotion, my emotions through therapeutic processes, it still took me like two years to get over some stuff because I just wanted everybody to get along. But you know everybody has an opinion and whether you ask for it or not, you're going to get it. So you have to stay focused on what you know is important and you have to stand by and cling to the people who are your greatest allies and your greatest advocates, because no other opinion matters. That was a really long explanation. No,
0: that's perfect. And I was just thinking of, you know, some of the couples out there that might struggle, because what you know, you have a very unified unit, which is beautiful. And it's a great example for people to understand that you, you, you work together as a team, you're very focused. But I, I know that there's also those couples out there where one partner doesn't believe in the other person's dream, and is going to do whatever it takes to, you know, not let them have that spotlight or um, come up with reasons why they can't succeed.
1: You know, we come, we come across that a lot, a lot where, um, James and I will counsel with people and they say, you know, I really want to do this thing. My husband doesn't support me or I really want to do this thing. And, and, you know, I think that's so incredibly individual that it's hard to even address it because, you know, we know people who have set big goals and they've jeopardized everything for it and they sucked at it and everything fell apart. So it's like, yeah. do you keep telling that guy to keep going for his dream? Or we know people who just as a side job, they want to do something and their spouse is like, well, I don't want you taking time away from the family. And it's like, well, this guy is willing, or this girl is willing to burn the candle from both ends to figure this out, but they don't have that support. Yeah. So with it, to me, when I think about it as generally as I can, blanket statement as I can. It's really about deciding if it's the right dream for you together. And if it's not, either that means it's not time for the dream. It maybe means that you aren't that great of a couple, that things don't aren't working out, that maybe you need to get some therapy and some counseling to figure that out. Mm-hmm. It might mean that you can bolster your partner up to help them achieve their dreams so that they don't try to prevent you from achieving yours, you know, kind of like, well, let's both pick a dream. Let's both work on it together. Yeah. So you'd really have to think about your own relationship. But I will tell you this, it wasn't always, I mean, James and I, the first 10 years of our marriage was really hard. And I prayed every day that we would grow closer. And it wasn't until our world came crashing and burning that we finally learned to pull together and to lean on each other. Mm-hmm. So that was, 10 years into our marriage before we really kind of figured that out and learned how to lean on each other. Mm-hmm. So it takes time and it takes effort is the most important thing. And, you know, it's so individual that I, I really hope that you can identify in your relationships, what it is.
0: Yeah. You know, yeah, it's very, yeah, it totally is very individual that people need to take time to reflect because obviously it's much better when you, each other you know in in that unit can support each other's dreams and you know be the best cheerleader for each other and 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 be that sergeant there yeah holding them yeah hold them to it yeah hold them to it and that accountability is huge now um and I also love the part where you know because you were so strong on him and holding him accountable and getting him up um I think one of my favorite lines is I don't deserve this woman (laughs) Um, in the book, and it really speaks to um, how you have been such a leader, how you have not only just led your family, Sunny Joe, but led, um, been the instigator of this, planted the seed of this career for what James has embarking. Now, I'd love to talk about how are you dealing with your transition? I know the training's never over, but dealing with your transition to creating this new chapter for your own life.
1: This is a straight up midlife crisis that people talk about in the movies. I'm like, nobody needs me or wants anything anymore. What what do I do? And, you know, back those days in my twenties, when everybody's doing all these fun things and I couldn't do it because I had all these little kids, I'm like, one day I'm going to be able to do all this stuff. And now I'm there and I'm like, those are dumb. I don't want to do any of those things. (laughs) You know, I'm like, I don't want to go get lost in the mountain for eight hours. I'm good with like an hour and a half hike. I don't, I don't need eight hours in the mountains, but it was really an interesting transition because there were so many things happening at once. It was like coming home from the 50 and trying to get our lives back established and James being whisked away and traveling all over the world and speaking and my kids transitioning into older, um, more independent per se, but emotionally more dependent. You know, when you have four teenage girls with different personalities, they all have different needs. And so I found that I was needed the same, but in a different way as the kids got older. And so it wasn't quite what I had imagined it would be. Um, But now everybody is kind of doing their own thing. And I'm like, well, what do I want to do? I'm all excited like I was waiting for this time for everybody independent and now I'm here and I'm like, okay, what do I want to do? And I'm not quite there yet because my son's still young. He's only 11. So I'm not ready to like dive into anything hardcore yet, but I, I want to plan now and start building. So in five years, I'm ready to pull that bow and arrow back and let it go. So it's been really exciting to see the type of opportunities that come up because as soon as I open my channels and say, I'm ready world. I'm ready universe. That's when stuff starts to pour in. So if you're closed off and you're like, I'm scared. I don't know if I can do it. I'm not good enough. I'll never be able to do what she can do. Then the channels are shut, right? And they're like, oh, okay, your sign's closed. So we'll go to the next guy. But as soon as you open your channels, not only do amazing opportunities come, but they're really distinctive and unique to you. It's not like all of a sudden this opportunity comes for me to come get a job at Walmart that's not unique and that's not distinctive to me. You know, that's not the type of opportunity I'm talking about. I'm talking about the people I meet and the positions I'm put in. And as far as like where I'm at in line or who I bump into or things like that, that now it's been really exciting. And something I've paid attention to over the last few years is the things people say to me about me. So, I hear people say all the time, like, oh, you should do this and you should do this, or you'd be really great at this. And so I've kind of made a mental note and said, well, is that something I'd want to do? People are telling me that's something I'd be really great at. And I've been analyzing all this feedback I'm getting from the world and from the people in my life to see kind of where my puzzle pieces are fitting. So I think the most exciting thing is not knowing. So for now, it's taking all those puzzle pieces and slowly constructing this border of my puzzle and then knowing when the time is right, everything's going to start filling in and slowly I'll start to get a picture and then I'll go, oh, I see what's happening here. Now I know exactly where to put these pieces, but I love that I don't totally know yet and I'm just waiting for pieces.
0: It sounds so exciting. So what, what lights you up? What's that? What lights you up right
1: now? Um, I've always loved connecting with people. I've always been a people person. You know, James has always been, he's a total introvert. And it, that's what makes this his story so amusing is now he's a professional speaker and he travels all over the world and stands in front of all these people and at first he was like, I'm going to die. This should be you up here entertaining all these people, making them laugh. And he's trying to find his place in this new career that he's kind of fallen into, you know? Um, but he he's not as much a people person. He's definitely a more closed up where me, I'm like, I want to meet everybody. I want to know all about your lives. I want to surprise you and bring you a treat on your birthday. Like I just love people. And so connecting with people in different realms, you know, I do energy work with a bunch of people and, you know, visiting with people at a grocery store or connecting with old friends. I love touching base with old friends and saying, Hey, we haven't talked in 10 years. Let's get together and have lunch or even deepening the relationships I have. I just people, I want to go everywhere and meet everyone. It's this chronic thing. So that's what lights me up is connecting with people.
0: I love it. Because I think there's so much for us to explore in this world. Uh, yeah. If we don't dive in, we're gonna be missing it. That's that's my philosophy. Can you
1: imagine missing out all the things you've learned in yeah. your life because you were like withdrawn or something? Yeah. it's crazy.
0: Yeah, no, I think we have to hook up.
1: <laughs> so let's get together. I like Wait, what's it, do you live in Edmonton or like Calgary area? Edmonton. Oh, okay, so winters found you.
0: Yeah. Well, we have no snow right now. We had a few weeks ago and, it, and it's gone, um, but uh, it's, it's going to rear its head
1: again here probably in the next week. It was like 15, 20 degrees today. Oh. Like we, I ran in tank top and shorts. Oh yeah, no no
0: shorts here. But <laughs> I think
1: I think we have snow coming on Sunday, but it comes and goes through November. Yeah, so yeah.
0: well, if you, if you ever go visit down in Calgary, I'll be happy to go meet you. And
1: you bet, you bet. I was Since as I can cross the border. I tried to go in <laughs> September. I wanted to go see my sister-in-law. And they're like, you have to quarantine for two weeks. I'm like, I was only planning a three-day trip. I can't quarantine for two weeks. Yeah. So yeah. give me some time. I'll make it up there.
0: Absolutely. I would love that. That would be so much fun. So, you know, we've talked about transition. We've talked about some of the training when, when you, we talk a lot about mindset on the millionaire woman show and I'm just personally, you know, you've been through quite, quite a journey, you know, the past 20 years. Um, when I think about when you think about who you were at 18 and you think about who you are today and if, looking back, what would you tell that 18 year old self about belief systems, mindset, and getting through some of those tough times?
1: This is a fabulous question. One, because my daughter just turned 18 last week. And two, because I have been reading through some of my old journals. And it is a shame to see who I was at 18 not knowing some of the most basic things. And I say a shame, not like it's regret, not like I want someone to blame, but I literally had no direction in my life. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't know what I wanted to be. Here it is. I'm a, you know, a senior in high school and I've thought of 10 different things I want to be. And I'm making these kind of impulsive choices, you know, like, oh, I'm going to move to Hawaii and live with my brother. And then I'm like, I hate it. I'm coming back. And then I'm going to do this. And it just kind of like all over the place Mm -hmm. that I really wished I would have had somebody that sat me down and said, hey, what do you actually want out of life? Mm -hmm. I had no idea. And I think I, you know, had some conventional ideas like, oh, I want to do this and this. And I mean, just your basic answers D all the above, right? But I had no passion for anything other than just fitness, which I didn't necessarily want a career in fitness. I just really enjoyed it. But I had no idea what I wanted to be or what I wanted to do. Or aside from my religious beliefs, I didn't have anything. As I parented my kids, I've made sure that they've really Pondered some of the things they'd want to do in their life. Like, my son's 11 and he's like, I want to be a streamer and play Fortnite. And I'm like, okay, that's super lame. But if that's what he thinks he wants to do at 11, then I'm like, that's so cool, Quinn. Like, what are five different things you want to do? And just talking about the possibility of doing all of them or any of them. Because even at his young age, my daughter at 14, you know, talking about college already and like, what kinds of things interest you? What kinds of things do you think would be interesting to learn about or to expand your knowledge? Because I didn't really have that Even though it kind of would seem like I did, I didn't. And so that's been really important to me to pass down, Mm. to help my kids with, to help them find some directions with what's important to them, not what's conventional, not what sounds important or responsible, but what really gets them excited. So that's definitely, I, I think all the time, I'm like, I wish I could have just sat down with my 18 year old self and given her a hug and been like, let's just talk. Who do you want to be? Who are you? What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? That's something that I wish I had known at a younger age.
0: And, it, and you know, I find it fascinating because I grew up in a small town and, you know, we did these career tests and it said I could be a mortician, a teacher, you know, but the primary things that I knew is doctor, lawyer, teacher, secretary.
1: Yeah. Policeman. Right. right? <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. University. And you hear about all these other titles that I didn't even know existed. I didn't know what an engineer was. Yeah. And I was like, all of this, it just opens up. And I love how you said earlier, you know, when we're open to the possibility versus closing down the channels that are coming to us, how how is it that we can prepare for the opportunities in front of us? And that's why
1: they they make you take all those 10-10 classes in college, right? They're like, you think you want to do this thing, but we're going to give you a little taste of all these different subjects. Because otherwise you may not even know they exist. Why would we exactly. know what an engineer is? Yeah. I'm like, I was too poor for a pool or a hot tub or a bike or anything. You know, I didn't have anything that was actually built. <laughs> Just kidding. I did. But it's like, why would we know, right?
0: Yeah. And and it's fascinating. Like there's so many things like I would love to tell the university systems, you know, that they, yeah. when I was in uh, my second year university had taken, what was it, five, Science courses all with labs, burning myself out. And I go to see an advisor and they said, Why didn't you take swimming? Why didn't you take something to balance this? And yeah. I'm like, Look, I grew up on a farm. I'm putting out good money for my course, I, but nobody. I'm not does- wasting on jewelry, exactly. right? Nobody yeah. taught me how to play the game. Yeah. Right. And it truly is uh, the game of life, right? Making sure that you have balanced activity, making sure that you have
1: things that come easier to you. Not
0: just all the hard stuff all the time.
1: Yes. Yes. Well, that that reminds me of another point too, um, about adaptability because the jobs my children will probably have don't even exist today. Yeah. They're going to be made up in 10 years and it's going to be a private shopper. I mean, I order my groceries and they show up at my door that person, that job did not exist 10 years ago. So how many ideas do we have in our head that are going to adapt? So the idea is you got to have some type of a goal, but you got to be willing to like, let it sway so that when your channels open and these wild opportunities come up and there's this made up job where you do podcasts on YouTube that did not exist when you were a little girl, no. you say, I'm ready. Yeah, let's do this thing. As opposed to like, nope, I said I was going to be a teacher. And so I'm sticking to being a teacher. No. But there's so many things out there we know, or we don't even know exist. They're like these made up jobs. Like they're fake jobs that make you lots of money. True and, and our kids don't know about that unless we tell them, right? yes. yes. So be flexible and dream big of made up jobs because they're out there. They're not even real. And these people are making a ton of money doing them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then when you explore and, you know, be open to the possibilities. So we're almost near the end of the interview. And I, and I love to ask a couple standard questions. Sure. Because it's all about your take and how it's impacted you. So what is one book that has really changed the way you see the world? Um, been a kind of a guidepost for you to move forward. What is that one book for you?
1: Well, I never read growing up my whole life. And about three years ago, I just started reading and I cannot get enough of it. I will say To Kill a Mockingbird was always my favorite book because I'm fascinated with that time era. But the book that's really touched my heart in the last few years is the story about Bill Marriott and him talking about building his hotel empire and it is so incredibly amazing this book and they talk about um, his dad was very conventional and he was willing to want to take all these risks and he worked with his dad, right? And so him and his dad were always fighting about the way to do things, but he talks about his family and his religion and his job and the balance of life. They talk about the recession mm-hmm. and how he built this incredible empire of Marriott hotels. And it is such a beautiful book. I mean, it's a biography, but it's there's so many beautiful, valuable lessons in there that make you feel like you can do anything, but with this tender hometown, loving nature to them. So that's a book that recently has really touched me that I absolutely loved.
0: Excellent. That's not a book that has ever come by one of my guests. So and I need to read it now.
1: <laughs> James is like, get over of this Bill Marriott book. I'm like, but I love it. There's so many great things.
0: Oh, I want to read it. <laughs> so um Our show is based on, you know, the principles of life, leadership, and business. And it's all about helping people live rich from the inside out. What does living rich from the inside out mean to you?
1: Living rich from the inside out means knowing who you are, knowing your value, knowing your gifts, and surrounding yourself with people who remind you of them. People that hold you to that standard that are always rooting for you and cheering for you but they can't do that unless you know them for yourself first so what am I good at what do I love what makes me happy how am I going to take over the world with cheer and happiness and joy
0: Sunny Joe, this has been such a delight you do totally match your personality you are a ray of sunshine Um, I'm grateful to meet you Um, I'm grateful to have you on the show now I got to meet both of you so I'm truly inspired um, how can people stay in touch with you? I, I'm not even sure um, how, if you've been doing that already. With Connect-
1: besides my personal phone number, <laughs> um, so my Instagram and Facebook is Sunny Joe Lawrence, but um, I have started more of like a business page, and the name for that is Sunny Joe Mama. And the reason why is because when I was little, I said I'm not going to have my kids call me mom. I'm going to have them call me Sunny Joe Mama. It's M A M A. Um, And so I post different things on those on my personal page and the business page. So if you are following both, you don't see the same things. But on the Sunny Joe Mama page, that's where I kind of try to share some of my gifts with the world as opposed to just fun pictures. So
0: beautiful. Beautiful. If you were to leave us with one message that you want to sum up this whole podcast, one
1: message, what would that be? You can do whatever you want as long as you're willing to work for it and you know what sometimes the work is hard sometimes it's easy but it is always rewarding and it is never too late so please do what it is that you want
0: and I'm going to put in captions and ensure you're ready to be accountable yeah
1: (laughs) because we will because I will keep you accountable (laughs)
0: Absolutely, Sonny Joe. You definitely will. And I, I love that about you already. Wonderful. Thank you for joining us here on the Millionaire Woman Show. Um, on behalf of Sonny Joe and myself, you know, this has been a, a jam packed interview. I hope wherever you are in the world, um, that if you are driving, obviously you can't take notes. But when you get a chance, watch us on YouTube, go listen to us again on the podcast player that you're listening to take those notes down because she's really dropped a lot of gems for you to really think about do some reflection and being open to the channels of possibility of things that are not yet created until you start taking action. I'd also love for you to go over to my website at www.debrakazowski.com where you can get your free download right now of a three-part video course of making habits stick so that you can build focus and consistency into whatever goal it is that you want to create that reality. As Mohammed Gandhi said, be the change you wish to see in the world. And on behalf of Sunny Joe, and myself, go out and make today great.